0: to All Talk Oncology. I'm your host, Kenny Perkins, a.k.a. The Cancer Guy. Hello. Come on on. Come on board. So, welcome. Thank you guys so much for allowing me to interview. Well, thank you for having us. Yeah. Well, you know, as we're talking about advocacy, I think, you know, a lot of cancer uh increasing unfortunately and so how do you get people involved you know to speak about it you know a lot of times people want to keep that a secret uh, they're not vocal about it whether there's embarrassment whether it's, they don't want to be treated differently whatever the case may be it's a lot of that and so to find people like yourselves that can come up and speak about what you're going through uh, to help other people get through it right to empower and that's the whole purpose of this podcast is to empower cancer patients through these insightful conversations and so uh, everyone here uh, been affected by cancer in some way. Um, how do we get them involved as, as advocates? How do we get the people who they know involved as advocates? And so that's what this is about. And so as we go into this and get into it, you know, I like to say, for one, why did you decide to become an advocate? You uh, know, let's start with the basic question: Is that?
1: I guess I'll start since I have the mic. Uh, so I decided to get into patient advocacy because um, I experienced a pretty rapid decline in my health and required quite a number of touch points with healthcare pr- professionals before I was taken seriously. Um, and by the time I got to my diagnosis, I only had about a day left. And when I was finally diagnosed and landed in the hospital, i kind of had a you know a a moment and and said to myself i just don't want anyone else to have to go through this so i need to do something about it
2: and that's sort of how i landed in advocacy yeah yeah uh, for me um i lost my dad very suddenly when i was 25 and then um about a year later my mom was diagnosed with multiple myeloma and i became her caregiver as a result and the loss of both my parents, as well as like the experience of my mom through the healthcare system in both Canada and the U S just like radicalized me, I guess, into advocacy. Cause I saw so much of her experience as well as like the caregiver experience, um, and higher, you know, you're so there for your person and we both kind of made a pact to ourselves my mom and i that you know when she got better we would dedicate our time to advocacy and so she never got to do that so i do it in her memory
0: very nice
2: hi uh my name's Elisa. if anyone's
3: listening online and they're trying to figure out who's speaking um my journey to advocacy for me it was about finding my voice so along the lines of what michelle was saying um when i was going through this process of diagnosis you know my diagnosis took two two to three years and it's not that i didn't go to doctors it's that i guess i wasn't being heard i wasn't speaking loud enough as a young woman in the medical field they were quick to brush it off and you know explain symptoms away when i was finally diagnosed after multiple trips to the er It took three trips till I was actually listened to and admitted and told I had multiple myeloma. I needed to start treatment right away. Um, And I just, for me to have such a serious cancer and to have such an advanced cancer, and no one was listening or acknowledging that. I just felt my journey to advocacy was just all about being heard after that. So, and it's evolved from there to to take on some young adult um, cancer issues as well as multiple myeloma issues. So, yeah.
0: you know, it's interesting because one of one of the as a healthcare professional, uh, I I guess I can see how everyone is just so involved in, in their job versus trying to understand the feelings that are going on behind that. Right? We're not really taught that. In, in our schools, right? We, this is what you're doing for me as a radiation uh, therapist, right? This is, this is a theory, this is how we do it. But sometimes you have to step away from um, your profession in a sense of what you're doing and understand that this is a human being in front of you. How would you uh, feel in this case? So I, you guys kind of answered the question. I mean, obviously not getting that support propelled you into that now was that a fearful thing that that's the that's the next question because those who may want to become advocates it may be a scary thought how did you get over your fears or or doubts in order to pursue and continue
4: well I want to be fair and share the love because uh I can't really hand the mic to Rob
5: oh <laughs> thanks
4: man I think it's only fair
5: <laughs> okay was this uh 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 the question of what what got us into advocacy i um i was i was straight up pissed off uh just really pissed off and and uh i'd been a very um not certainly not quiet person but everything was always fine you know and then to be treated really really dehumanized through the through the process by medical professionals just made me so angry that i was like um no you can't do this. Um, and that actually leads me to your next question Kenny which is how did you get over your fear and I know many of us because I know there's there's more than 80 people in the room right now and we all have stories and we all have things but one of the things after during the process of surviving I experienced something that maybe everybody else experienced which is you know I'm not really afraid of much now um so there was that like there was like you know talking to a person I'm good with it let's go so, so, yeah, there was a ton of that of like, you know what? We've all been through this thing. There's very little that's scary.
0: It, um,
4: you're gonna get used to hearing both of the sounds of our voices and well, that's just the way it's gonna go. Uh, to, in terms of answering your question, the, um, what alleviated the fear of getting into advocacy was seeing uh, very much echoing what the other panelists members are saying and also what Rob is saying. Um, I knew that I, (laughs) would. in the words of my first psychosocial oncology therapist, Princess Margaret said after one session, man, you're clinically pissed off. (laughs) And I was mad. Just, I was so angry at the world. And I just felt abandoned. And I didn't understand why this was happening. Um, So many different dimensions of just these Almost like um I, I like to refer to a, a book that I really enjoy and these agreements that I had and understandings and they just were just both attacking but then falling apart at the same time it's like, how do I navigate this mess? And I started having these moments thinking back of being in treatment and seeing other survivors going through what they were going through at varying stages, and it just this inner twinge kicked in of hold on, I'm like the oldest of my sibling crew. What would I do? And then looking at my demograph, I had to do something, it was just that internal feeling of, I know what it feels like to not get that help. So I have to do something. And that's what's led to now. So hopefully that answers the question.
3: I just wanted to, you know, concur with my other panelists that, you know, they had a I said it a little more, you know, meekly, but yeah, we were. (laughs) you know, we were pissed off, we were upset, we, my family, you know, how could this happen to you? How could, how could you have like a advanced cancer? So initially, it was anger, I think, that drives you to use your voice, and to speak up. And, and then for me, sustaining my advocacy was, uh, you know, as Peter, Peter said, there wasn't resources out there for me, you know, as a young person with multiple myeloma, there's not a lot out there. That's, You know, talking about myeloma and your age and stage, um, myeloma is generally an older um, person cancer. So for me, you know, if there's nothing out there, you got to you got to make it. You got to find that voice. So for me, that's what sustained me.
0: So for those that are maybe on the fence, right, I mean, sometimes we in here anger pushed us not getting the support. You're like, no, something internal kicked in. Right. So for those that are on the fence, they're like, okay, they they may want to do it but how do i go about doing it you know how did you get past any of that to move forward in the, in that process
1: um a whole lot of soul searching mm-hmm. that was it for me um i knew that i wanted to do something about it i had no idea what that would look like and i think i recognized that i needed to do a lot of internal work before i went out and tried to help other people because I felt there was fear, but the fear happened before the diagnosis and had happened for many years before the diagnosis. And then at diagnosis was anger, and there was definitely confusion, and there was definitely self doubt, and all kinds of other things to contend with. So I really had to get clear with myself before I could go out and
2: help anybody else. I think for me personally, I did the opposite. I didn't think at all. I started doing anything because in a way it was a coping mechanism for me to be able to share the experience that I had had as like, you know, a 28 year old orphan for better, or for worse. And the experience that both my parents had or didn't have. Um, and it was messy. It was extremely messy. And, um, I think I was just in such a vulnerable place that like, I didn't care And I just took up space in a way that I never have before. And that prior to this experience, I never would have done. Um, And then I could think refined it after that. But as someone who's like a chronic overthinker, this was very uncharacteristic for me to just go out there and lay it out. Um, And I'm glad I did. But I also look back and I'm like, hmm, interesting choices. (laughs) We did what we did, you know?
5: You know, here, 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 (laughs) I was going to ask if Rob wanted to, Rob? Yeah, th- thank you, Peter. I appreciate that. Um, I'm always
4: thinking about you.
5: Sorry about that, Rob. Uh, right on, right on, right on. Um, uh, it's really interesting, too, about being on the fence, Kenny, and I, I 100% get that. I, I also say that not everybody advocates in the same way, and it's one of those things. I mean, we've, we're on a committee, we're doing a thing. And we're thrilled to be part of this conference, and and it does not have to be this. I mean, we you can advocate in whatever way you choose. So, you know, those of us in the world who are raving extroverts, we're we're you know, kind of wired for this kind of thing. Um, but I think one of the best, best, most effective ways we can advocate is for the people who are around us. Um, and that might mean having a late night phone conversation with a good friend or family member who's terrified, like that's, that's advocacy, that's serious advocacy. And, and so I think there's so many, so many different ways to do it. And, and we just have to be kind of open to find our way. And, and, um, we've had the things just kind of falling into place sometimes that's, that's really happened. So it's, it's one of those things that sometimes the path just kind of presents itself to you. At least that's been my experience. I fully
4: echo that, and um, you should probably get out of my brain. It's mostly 90s cartoons and cheetahs. Just so you know. I couldn't agree more wholeheartedly as uh, being able to both be a part of this steering committee and for the years of advocacy and being able to work with more than one charity is that it is very spectrum. And advocacy and support can be any expression that it is that you choose. It can be a, a phone call. It could be joining a board it can, and anything in between thereof. And as it grows, and it's as unique and organic
0: as you. Now here's a question, right? Because sometimes we don't. We have an idea and we start with it, but the way you start may not be the way you finish, right? Or the direction you're going in. How has the direction when you first started changed to compare to? where you, how you're advocating now?
1: I think one of the things that I kind of contended with at the beginning of my advocacy was I was really angry at the healthcare system. I was really angry at people in the healthcare system. And I was really angry at what was happening in politics also because it, it's a direct influence. Um, and as I kind of started working through it, I started realizing that a lot of people in healthcare are they've really got their hands tied too. So I realized that rather than being a blame game, it really needs to be a partnership and figuring
3: things out together. Um, For me initially, my advocacy, I just had to tell my story and my story was mostly my diagnosis story, Um, the delays, the multiple trips to the ER, like all that was what I mostly did. And over time, as your story grows and you continue living, I'm 13 years now with multiple myeloma, my advocacy has shifted and I use my story. Instead, um, I have what I call like, Uh, as a myeloma mentor, because people reach out to me through social and through various channels because they hear my story that, you know, they hear about my family and I've continued to live my life on my terms despite my diagnosis. So that itself is powerful as well as I use my story. um, You know, I helped organize some charity events and various things. So it's shifted from just talking about my story to actually using it and turning it into something good. So
5: Rob, yes, add to that. Not really. I thought that was fantastic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, again, as a as a healthcare care professional, um, from clinical to administration, you know, we, it's lacking. That's for sure. And um, years ago, I had talked to uh, someone just saying, man, I, I want to get out here and talk to cancer patients. Like, what are you going to do? Be the Oprah of cancer? It's like. <laughs> <laughs> here I am with a podcast now. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know.
5: Also, By the way, Kenny, uh, I, I'm interrupting and I apologize. It's a very no, bad habit. No are, are you truly a, a, a radiation uh, uh, guy?
0: Yeah, I'm a radiation therapist. Okay, yes.
5: uh, uh, massive kudos. Uh, seriously, because you're concerned about the human side of this. And this goes way against the stereotype of radiation therapists. Like 100%. Like it just does. <laughs> I've, I've, I've done talks for you guys, and, and it's all about tech. And, and so this is phenomenal. This is, this is a change. I'm just saying.
0: So way to go. Ah, thank you. Thank you. But, you know, this is what also moved me to become a cancer coach, right? Because now you're dealing with the one-on-one. You're dealing with the feelings. And that's new uh, for anyone that's out there. Cancer coaching is new to the community. Um, it's now they're dealing with what you're going through, your feelings, how do you get through it day by day, creating a plan for you? What does the future look like for you? Uh, what, do you what direction are you, did you wanna go, right? Because the way you started is definitely not the way you ended. So as I go into that, here's the next question. We love the Healthy E Matters Conference, right? I mean, for us, for you guys to put this together and bring this together, absolutely amazing. But let me ask you, how did healthy e-matters come into fruition like how did you come how did that evolve to where we're at now uh well i mean
4: officially speaking uh courtesy of myeloma canada michelle everything that helped really uh that was the birthplace of where it began um i i know i referred to it last night and i still hold it close to my heart after we had our very first zoom call was all these beautiful folks on every square and they bring their unique experience, their passion and all their skill sets. And I come back to the same thing. It's just this cancer Avengers assemble. Like let's <laughs> do this. That's And yeah. we ended up having this in like being able to work with Rob before and uh, through young adult cancer Canada. And it just, this, there was this perfect mix and balance of, Every talent and skill that each person brought to the table and seeing that happen for what's in front of the scenes, behind the scenes, networking, and then being able to connect with all of you and seeing where it is now. And the kind of the, the gravitation and the traction that comes with it is just, um, I, I don't know if we could, I mean, I don't know if we ever even talked about what it you know, would look like after five years, but this is you know basically going into year two and here we are. It's, it's, and we you know, and we got through a pandemic, and we still managed to do it, which is kind of awesome. So, sorry, I took up too much of the mic time. Who wants to talk? You're gonna hear a lot of my You're voice great. over the next. You did
5: it, It's one of those things, uh, um, uh, Martine and Michelle from Myeloma Canada, and and they, uh, it it, I, I believe it started there, and I believe specifically with Michelle, who just said, essentially said, "We don't have this in Canada, and we need this." This is something we need. And then she, she, again, she assembled the Avengers as it were, put the call out and, and we got together and liked each other and ran. Um, and that's, that's really how it happened. But it was one of those, it was one of those lovely things where that, that snowball at the top of the Hill, the conditions were perfect and it just started rolling and, and magically here we are. So that's, that was it.
3: And I'm just going to add just a little bit, um, So Michelle reached out to me and she said, you know, would you like to be on the steering committee, and I think we're all too modest I think everyone in this room would say well you know I don't do that much for the Community i'm not a big advocate, so I was kind of along that lines and she said no like you've done X, Y and Z so. You know come and we're going to have this I want to have this this conference and this community build a community is really what we're here for work. So, you know, just our meeting and, uh, you know, our initial conference was just pulling together um, connections from the steering committee and those people in the room. And so here we are at the second conference. And again, we're here as a community and we're going to grow and we're going to pull everyone's talent in the room. So it's not just about us as a steering committee, it's about the community. So.
5: Yeah. And, and I really want to say too, Kenny and and on uh, if if I may, on behalf of everybody in the room i want to do a huge shout out to our sponsors uh because this was a different idea and this was a bit of a not strange idea but it was very very unique and our sponsors jumped on board uh they gave us so much wonderful support for our first conference in the spring and now they're back again and none of this would be happening without them so a massive shout out to them and round of applause please because they made all this way possible
0: you know, with that being said, you know, I, I think it's only fair that we open this up to the audience and discuss uh, if there's any questions or anything like that. Because let me tell you, I, as I spoke with the steering committee, um, they had some great things to say. One is that as an advocate, each individual has their own unique story that they're bringing to the table. Right. So I thought, man, that's amazing. Right. And the second part about it, they said, you know, um, you always know more than you think you know. And so for those that are out here that are maybe thinking about advocacy, you know, do you have some questions that you wanna propose to the committee? Yep,
1: we have a question here from Angus.
0: Hi Kenny, my name's Angus Pratt. First of all, I
4: wanna thank the committee for putting this great conference together. It is absolutely unreal how many connections and what happens here. But I want to go back to something that you raised early in the in the conversation around anger and being pissed off and upset and how all of that happens and ask you, how does that connect to the community and, and the support that you get from the community? Uh, as somebody who very transparently has my moments where I say, I'm angry right now, and I'll just openly express it just so I can get it out of my system. Um, I feel that like any other type of really potent emotion, that's something that inherently connects us, where it's that ability to identify, Um, you know, speaking earlier about uh, the advocacy side of things, uh, in terms of, you know, diagnosis, what I found most concerning was how I was told right off the bat, they said, testicular cancer is the most common cancer among men between 16 and 29. And the first thing I thought was, where are they? Never met one didn't even know it could happen. Last time I heard about testicular cancer, it was a bad joke in scary movie three. And it was, I, and now I look at it completely differently where it's like, Oh yeah, that is funny. But to answer, to answer your question, um, I feel that although it's not necessarily anger has to have its healthy expression, however, you're able to find it in yourself. But the fact that we can share that commonality where we go through our steps and process, that's something where we identify with each other where it's in the words of that previous uh, psychosocial oncologist, I was clinically pissed off and I had to find other people who were, who got it, who understood. I hope that answers that.
2: Just to build on to what Peter said, I think for me, it's like advocacy comes as a result of like an injustice. Right. And to me, you know, a diagnosis, a loss, whatever, it is that you may face is a bit of an injustice in life, right? It was not supposed to go this way. I don't think anyone had it on their bingo card. Like I'm going to, you know, get X or be diagnosed with Y or lose, you know, W. Um, And I think that creates like the perfect storm for people to want to take action because it's a brave choice to take action. It's a lot easier to just, fester and isolate and you know pull yourself away but to lean into that feeling and embrace that feeling with open arms is very powerful scary and not the common choice so I think everyone who leans in and is okay with just being vulnerable and again taking that fuel for injustice and turning it into advocacy and growth and which ends up being like that communal experience is is very brave and very special We've got a question here yeah, I have a, a rather different question. I became an advocate, not out of anger, but I, I guess out of compassion. You know, I'm a fighter, boy, you know, you're not gonna keep me down. But then I would see all these people who, according to one of my former students who was who now an intern in Ottawa, people have sick syndrome. And so what I'm asking you guys, if I I want to help those people, it's not just the people who are reaching out, who are angry, who are reaching out or whatever. It's the people that just sit there like blobs and do nothing. How Anybody on the panel, how do you reach out to them and help them? I can jump in quickly and then we can pass it on. I think personally, it's like you can't make someone do something they don't want to do. And like I mentioned, it's like, it's a, it's a difficult choice to lean in and do something, you know, it's not the common choice and you're not going to be able to reach everyone. And that's okay. There's been times where I've tried, you know, I'll always try. I'm always on Instagram. And I feel like I swear, like once a quarter, it's someone who has had a diagnosis or lost someone and they're very young. And I'm like, that's me. That's my cue. I'm here. Um, And sometimes you just can't. And that's okay. Not everyone has the capacity, which is why I acknowledge everyone's capacity here today.
1: So, um, like I mentioned earlier, I definitely dealt with a lot of fear in my life prior to being sick. And a lot of, you know what, I spent a lot of time trying to be somebody that I wasn't. And I was always trying to keep myself nice and tight and be what society expects me to be. And don't say the wrong thing and don't do the wrong thing. And when I decided to To kind of move into advocacy, I started recognizing that people who are not in our situations commonly aren't interested in hearing about it. So what I decided to do was really to entirely just open myself up to my journey of learning to love myself and learning to be who I was. And when I went through that experience of growth, and I mean, I'm still going through it, but when I was doing, let's say the the heavy lifting of that experience, I would drop things into that experience. So here's this thing that I'm dealing with right now. It reminds me of when I was in the hospital dealing with XYZ. You know what I mean? So I brought people with me on my personal journey and just kind of dropped tidbits of information along the line that I hoped would draw them in and create that interest. So that's sort of how I did it.
4: Uh, Michelle, it was beautifully said. I have to actually echo that in terms of um, I found that whenever I share on my social media, just either an insight or an experience from my own diagnosis, that's when I would find the testicular cancer people because they're looking at the hashtags, they're following it for one reason or another. And there have been points in a month where I would get a, a DM like once a week from someone randomly saying, hey, this is what's going on with me. I read your story. What can you tell me about it? And, you know, firstly, of course, I have to take full accountability of please understand, I am not a medical professional. I cannot give you advice in this respect. However, the fact that to put out what it is that you're doing. So even yourself as as a compassionate advocate, utilizing any platform you might use about yourself, that is your ticket. That is the way because you are letting people know, I am here for you should you need. Now, should you meet someone and they're in that state, it's a balancing act of communication. Like if, as Michelle was saying, if they're into it, they will. If you see them, you know, there's that horse, water, drink, there's only so much you can do. And you have to know when to know how far your reach can go, and that's uh, that's that's the best way I can answer that.
0: How about you, Rob? I don't want to leave you out. Oh no, that's okay.
5: I I, I think everybody said it really well, and and Peter, some, everybody said it beautifully, and I love horse water drink. I think that's that's perfect. Um, yeah, like you 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 can offer you you can never force. And I think, you know, just being open and honest with your story, as much as you are comfortable with that people will come to you and they will approach you from that. Usually, you know, and give the opportunity. And if they want it great, if not cool, that's it.
3: Um, my advocacy is different. I'm a dinosaur with social media, with the help of my daughter, I'm getting into it a little more. Um, my daughter-in-law works on the stem cell unit at my hospital. And I also was in the medical field. She would talk to her patients and would say, would you like to talk to my mother-in-law? She's been through this journey. She's going through this journey. And boom, the book opened up. So that's where I have started doing my, my advocacy. It's really, really been interesting with family members and patients.
5: That is so wonderful. I, I don't know who you are and I can't see your face, but that is just such a wonderful yeah. gift. My gosh. Uh, I had
3: a question. Um, the question was: I kind of noticed that there was uh, maybe stages of advocacy that you may have gone to, kind of like the stages of grief, but like, you know, you went through the anger stage and then you went through. this, like, could you, and then the follow up kind of point of that is, like, where was that aha moment that where you said, uh, I am now becoming an advocate? Like, what was that? Like, were you in a place like, like, you know, where you in certain situations, you remember, you were like, this is where I was. What was that moment for you in that kind of stage? And, and kind of do you have like 123 that you were like, I was mad, angry? Sad. Yeah,
5: I, I'd love to if I may, because it's kind of hilarious. Uh, uh, well, it wasn't hilarious. I had absolutely no resources when I decided I was re- depressed, I was semi suicidal, I was in my apartment by myself. I was broke. Um, I couldn't do my own laundry and I, and it was two in the morning and I was like, I'm doing something like, and it was, it was, I laughed at myself because I just had, it was such a pipe dream and, and that was it. And then it just kind of carried me through and it was actually quite therapeutic because I was, I wanted to tell a specific physician how wrong he was. And literally that got me through two months and it's my two cents, but that was it. And then it just kept rolling.
3: Um, for me, it's. I had my uh, my first stem cell transplant was in June twenty ten, and it was at Princess Margaret Hospital. So the Ride to Conquer Cancer that's the the time of the Ride to Conquer Cancer. So there was signs everywhere, and you know a lot. And I, I signed up. I'm like, I'm going to do that ride next year. For those who don't know, it's a two hundred kilometer cycling event over two days, and you have to raise, I believe, it was twenty five hundred dollars. So we signed up. Um, my husband. Yeah, I bring him, you know, he comes along the ride with me so he volunteered, he volunteered as a bike mechanic and we signed up to do this ride and that was the first time when I started doing, sharing my story on social, um, fundraising, forming a team and I think we did the ride two years, I was able to get in shape to do the ride which was a miracle considering I could not even walk a flight of stairs when I left the hospital but we did it two years, and over those two years, we raised about $10,000 for the Princess Margaret um, Charity Foundation. So that was the first time I was able to see that, yeah, your story is powerful, and you can use that. Um, how you choose to use that is up to you. So, uh,
4: Echoing uh, my co uh the aha moment ended up being a bit more on the funny side, and uh, also got my treatment at Princess Margaret Hospital. Uh, I remember just trying to process uh, being in treatment at 26 and a majority of the other patients were pretty much 60 plus. I had nurses that were younger than me and I was just trying to wrap my head around it, trying to find some, for lack of a better word, try to find some grace. And there I was trying to entertain myself and you know, I bring books and this and that. And I had been asking questions to try to get educated on different forms of treatment. And I was learning about different chemos. And as I was doing a lap because you know, three, five hours, you get kind of bored. I decided to do a lap around the daycare and there was, this, uh, there was this elderly woman and she was getting her treatment and she looked at me and she just goes, it's so sad, you're so young. And my first instinct was I looked at her and I said, you've got blue chemo. That means you're gonna have blue pee. <laughs> As I started walking, I heard this hysterical laughter behind me. (laughs) And when I finally got my way back to the chair, one of the nurses came up and said, do you know that's the first time she's ever laughed? And then it was just, I got this. And it seemed like, why not? And in the process of, I'm really transparent about this, during my treatment, I was a huge fan of real-time watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That was my jam. (laughs) Every episode made sense. And now, so many years later, 20 years later, from first diagnosis, I'm known as the guy who's got the tattoo on his forearm. It says, fight cancer like a slayer. And the times that I've gotten smiles and people point at it and they say, hey, you're that guy. I didn't know it was going to be that guy. I was somebody making fun of another person with blue pee. (laughs) But in, in that moment, it made sense. So yeah it's uh, the giggle is what led me
1: um i kind of took a bit of a different approach myself um i so for me it was a little bit of a slow drip the day i was diagnosed that was definitely the day that i was like hey i need to do something about this again i had no idea what that would look like um but I just kind of started reaching out to people and asking questions and, you know, researching different organizations. So there's an organization in in Toronto, it's called the Nanny Angel Network. And I wish I had known about it when I was going through treatment, because they are a nonprofit who provides support to moms with children going through um, cancer. And I just thought that it was the coolest thing. And I wish I had known about it myself. So I reached out to the president and CEO of the organization and said, Hey, I love what you're doing. And I'd love to have lunch with you. (laughs) And she said, yes. (laughs) So, so, um, so for me, I think when it flipped and I was like, Hey, I'm doing this thing is when I had made enough of those connections and those people started coming to me with questions. And that was the first time that I was like, this is cool.
0: (laughs) Well, I just want to thank the entire committee for allowing me to interview you, for you to uh, allow me to listen to your story, sharing your story with everyone else. You know, advocacy is not for the faint of hearts, but each person has their individual story. And so hopefully we picked up on that today is that if you have something to say, you know, by all means speak up, you know, because you don't know who can benefit from that. And, most important, they asked me, why did you start this podcast? Why did you you start All Talk Oncology? And the why is because, you know, there's a need. A lot of times cancer patients, uh, people that were diagnosed, uh, they get counted out. And for me personally, I know what that's like to be counted out. And so being diagnosed with cancer doesn't necessarily mean it's a death sentence, but people need to know that. And so in order to be, uh, to get that news put out into the universe, into the world. We need advocates. And so thank you guys for allowing All Talk Oncology to interview you. And this is Kenny Perkins, a.k.a. Your Cancer Guy. And until again, we're out. So again, I want to thank everyone who tuned in today. Here's where you will find up-to-date cancer discussions with industry experts and leading professionals that can help you in your cancer fight. You are not alone in this. We are in this together. I'm your host, Kenny Perkins, aka The Cancer Guy, and until again, I'm out.